Welcome to the audio recording of Playtester's Progress, Chapter 6, in which Designer journeys into the Valley of the Grognards to retrieve the clay tablets of critical hit tables. <laughs> Give us more weapons! We, the Grognards, say this! <laughs> no! <laughs> and then Robin Laws and Kennethite did descend from the heavens and vanquish them with erudite rays of knowledge. If only we're that easy. Uh, in this episode, playtesting more of it. In between these bloody sheets, where your friends like a This is Ross Bain with Roleplay and Public Radio. We're doing RPPR Game Designers Workshop, Episode 6, Playtester's Progress. I hope you like obscure liter- literary references, because yeah. uh, that's what we're here for. Yes, because uh, <laughs> that's what the fans want. Uh, the more obscure, the better. Uh, <laughs> uh, so anyways, Yay, yeah. Yay, passion plays. <laughs> in this uh, episode, we're going to be talking about uh, our continued progress in playtesting both red markets and in ruin i've, I've been playtesting that a little and yes it, it has led to many a revelation uh so the progress uh <laughs> first off we have some news uh thank you to everybody who backed the boiling point kickstarter for base raiders yeah uh the adventure uh, we did very well in the kickstarter caleb is going to be working on the death trap supplement yes i will uh and of course uh the fans have demanded sparkles and so they will get sparkles uh, both as a PDF, and I know Caleb is super excited to to see that. Uh, no and, comment. <laughs> and uh, so yeah, we're we're sending out the rewards soon. Uh, the playtest draft should be out uh, probably by the time we listen to this podcast. And uh, uh, yeah, thank you again. So anyway, shark people, shark people. Johnson. I don't know. That's the biggest promotion I can give to anything. Really, <laughs> I know. shark people, shark people. You could put in a Jawsome. <laughs> Well, I, I have to leave something for you. Oh, I, I see. Well, <laughs> thank you. Uh, so, uh, Caleb, we've been doing a lot of playtesting for Red Markets, and uh, you've had some breakthroughs in it, or you've gotten out of a rut, I guess. You've gotten out of that valley of the uh, <laughs> yes. Rognards, metaphorically uh, speaking. I, designer, because uh, <laughs> we really want to be as stilted as possible here. Um, no, yeah, there have been some pains. Uh, so it has been a while since we did an episode. Uh, other than our, our Gen Con episode, so to speak. So um, there have been some growing pains in the process of writing Red Markets. I got a new job. Yeah. Uh, that is great because I'm not going to die as soon as I thought I was due to starvation. Yeah. Um, so, But that is a lot of time constraints. I am teaching again. Right. Well, it's it, a big change in your schedule. Yeah, it is far yeah, away. Yeah, a new routine. Yeah, it is a brand new routine. Um, I still have my other job, like freelancing for RPG companies, so I am still uh, trying to meet stretch goals for the No Soul Left Behind project and doing art direction kind of stuff from that occasionally when I get sketches in. Um, So I'm working on those things. Uh, Playtesting is a little difficult when you have the RPPR crew specifically, uh, because our queue is stupid long compared to what I imagine is other gaming groups in terms of like, especially now that we have uh, two designers attacking the same game group of players, uh, we have a lot of games to cover. So, uh, 
Yeah, aside from our existing uh, backlog of recorded games, uh, th- which are many, we have quite a few, uh, we also have a lot of systems that we haven't even played yet, or we've only played a little of yet, and I want to get more games in. And uh, these games, uh, you know, it takes time to learn one and uh, try it out. And there are always the RPPR listeners out there who are always suggesting new systems. And, you know, the queue just gets longer and longer and longer. I mean, we haven't even played much in the last few weeks, but we the backlog is hardly shrunk at all. Yeah, schedules are kind of crazy. And then in addition to that, uh, we have issues with, you know, campaigns we haven't finished. Uh, we have campaigns that yeah I have never played yet. Like, I have two or three campaigns that I could just whip out in an hour's time and we could begin. Nice black agent. Yeah, nice black agents <laughs> and stuff like that. Uh, so there, there's a lot of uh, competition for a limited amount of space. Yeah. Um, so that that's an, another issue. And then, you know, morale is a thing, you yeah. know, when you're writing and you have to, you have to fight to keep it up. So yeah. having written 40K of Red Market's rules that are now in the trash can yeah, uh, and in the in the I'm, dustbin of history. Yeah, very much. And I'm <laughs> I'm in the process of picking through the dustbin and seeing. Now, wait a minute, which paragraph I yeah. can use, and then I have to write all new rules around it. But it's just Palladium, this shit. It's, it's just... No, not quite. <laughs> uh, but it's still like forty thousand words yeah. of things you have to scrap. Yeah, because the rules don't work, uh, or you just need to reword it in a way that yeah. it's not yeah. notes for you. It's notes other people can use to learn the game. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, it's just a dauntingly incomplete text uh, between that and the half-written novella and, you know, all that other stuff that at times it just, you know, when you stop looking for the handhold above you and you look at the peak of the mountain, <laughs> it can, you know, cause a anguished sigh in designer, capital yeah. D, proper noun. Uh, and you, yeah, so, but uh, we are, I'm, I'm overcoming. But yeah. th- those are some pains that have uh, delayed this latest episode of right. Game Designers Workshop. Uh, and, and yeah, I mean, for me, a lot of it had, like, the Ruin, again, is just this weird, very uh, abstract kind of concept. And I'm trying to do something new. And when there's, when it's, you're trying to do something that doesn't have, a, a, like, a hundred ripoffs when you're not doing, like, monster colon the something something, you know, or... Uh, uh, I would play Monster Colon, but that would be weird. <laughs> that would be weird. <laughs> that would be a weird game. Uh, monster, the grossening, you know, or whatever. <laughs> you know, there, there's a, Whenever you're doing something that's not like you don't have something precedent to look at uh, in terms of structure and format, you're, you're, you're sort of – you want to make sure people understand what you're going for and that you're going after what you think you're going after. Uh, and I've done a lot of that. Now I'm kind of boiled down to what I want to do. Now I need to – actually, you know, sit down and write it and play test it more. And then, of course, now I have this whole Kickstarter thing that I have to manage. And I fortunately had... Just a wee bit of Kickstarter. Yeah, a wee bit of Kickstarter and about 20,000 words of... <laughs> or more, 20, 30,000 words worth of text to write for the various PDF supplements we've gotten through Stretch Goals. Uh, I mean, I've done a lot of writing this year, but they've all been these PDF supplements and then Ruin, which a lot of... Which, uh, after this latest playtest, a lot of those rules are going to go into dustbin of history as well uh, or get dramatically rewritten. So, yeah, it's it's... Kind of like, uh, all right, we'll, we'll, we we spend a year on this. All right, we got to start over. You know, it's it's uh, or not quite that bad. I mean, we're not like uh, video games where you're like, oh yeah, we'll just 
you know, it's not Duke Nukem forever yet. That's <laughs> what I'm going for. So we're not we're not at that stage yet. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, don't mean to imply that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Make no Duke Nukem comparisons to anything related to me yeah. or anything. You're going to swap out word engines. You know? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Uh, but progress has been made. Um, so I guess I'll go on yeah. red markets. Uh, so the main thing that required so much of the scrapping text is that, uh, as I mentioned in the Gen Con panel, one of the main struggles for making a game about economics is speed at the table. Uh, you don't want a ton of calculations and a ton of math. Not so much because no one can enjoy math. It's because math takes a amount of time. Yeah. And that is going to uh, take away from other things you want the system to do, such as horror and things of that nature. Yeah. Um, so I simplified the bounty economy. So it was like dollars almost and the initial play test now they are more like money units yeah uh, everyone will be happy to have money units and i am explaining that in the setting as in the uh evil government organization uh in the setting uh accrues bounty because they have to do so much research over whatever government documents survive for people uh that they accrue bounty based on the average salvage cost of one adult that owns a car, which is basically the minimum amount of, you know, property someone would own in order to receive some sort of payback for confirming their death in the zombie apocalypse. So they just pay everyone out that amount, even even if you give them a big fish versus something else. Uh, you could do the research yourself and try and sell off that information to someone else for a higher price. Right. But the bounty, the currency rating, is in that it's standardized that, yeah. uh, you know, exchange rate with cryptocurrency that you use. So uh, that's the setting explanation. But basically, it's your upkeep for items is now one bounty, two bounty, up to like five or six bounty, and that's as high as it goes. Uh, and your jobs, that you're, the, the amount of money you're receiving for jobs... Is, is is in the tens and hundreds of bounties. It's not in the thousands and tens of thousands like the initial play test, which complicated math right. quite a bit. You can just round off a lot of those zeros, basically. Yes, yeah. And it and it, it goes much faster, especially right. when you start doing percentages and things of that nature. Yeah. Um uh I've redone the gear system. So yeah. initially it had a negative aspect that you could buy to a more positive aspect, sort of like tags in Apocalypse World. Yeah. Uh there are still tags now to describe the gear and many of them are negative. So like it is loud, it right. only has a certain range, it only has a certain number of charges to spend. Um but I've kept those and I've added the positives are just things that you add on. So rather than your character really having feats your, your weapons, in terms of upgrades, have feats, uh, and many of them are standardized. Like, firearms have similar feats and things, like, in upgrades you can buy. Like, if it's silenced, it buys off loud. There's still that. But you can also have them uh, give special abilities in combat, add things like that. And I've expanded a wider variety than the initial playtests, which was just guns and knives, basically. Uh, you can now have drones you use for surveillance and... Uh, Assistance dogs you train to, uh, you know, lure zombies away and all sorts of stuff like that. Uh, I added some encumbrance rules, about 20,000 words of them, 
because I was all interested in this slot system that I'd been experimenting with and playing Mice Mystics before I realized that was completely against the design aesthetic, <laughs> slowed absolutely everything down, and was a terrible idea. But they work, so rather than cut them out completely, I will probably put them in there and say, for you who like to calculate how much your backpack weighs. Aha, appease I, the mighty drug. I, I have considered, yes, the clay tablet of encumbrance <laughs> rules. And then they hiss and return to their night. Uh, their so, night games of Phoenix Command. <laughs> their night games of Phoenix Command. Uh, glow in the dark. Well, their game. They yeah. have yet to complete one, but one day. <laughs> campaign for North Africa the, and Phoenix The Command. prophecies do tell. They play Fe Campaign for North Africa with Phoenix Command rules. <laughs> it is the Ur game. When, when it is complete, the world will end. <laughs> All right. As the angels shall roll. We're going too far with this Their seven sided die <laughs> to determine randomly what kind of apocalypse hits the world it's first. To me, we've taken this too far. Have we? <laughs> or we right. have it not taken it far enough. Fair enough. All right. uh, we solved the headshot problem with yeah. some mini play tests. So that was one of the things we said we'd do differently is testing small things yeah. a bit at a time. Uh, so we had a little combat play test. Um, I upped them out of hit points you have in each body location, but I've simplified damage. Uh, so your weapon determines the type of damage. Does it do stun? Do it? Do, does it do killing? Or does it do stun and killing? Uh, red is always hit location. Black is always a mount. Now that makes it really hard to one shot a PC and a location. Uh, but you can bleed out. And it occurred to me that is my game more fun if you simply cease to be with a bad roll? are if you bleed out financially, mentally, and physically. Yeah. Uh, and I realize that Red Markets is about the latter. Yeah, so, it's definitely um, a game of attrition. So, yeah, if you can't, uh, you can be one-shotted. If, you know, you spend all your action points, the market has to roll for the attack, and they get double tens, and right. you have no will. You can, your head can just be erased. Right. Uh, but... Uh, that is a very rare case. More often than not, Edge you just case, can't yeah. afford to heal yourself up or you're failing first roll aid rolls and bleeding out. And, yeah. Uh, that is in turn causing all sorts of humanity damage to your party. Yeah. Uh, so that is more what the game is. It's just about. a bad scene. Yeah. And then lastly, with the combat, we solidified the action economy, the true differences between actions and reactions and freebies, yeah. and how you spend those points to do special maneuvers or save them for uh, really dangerous encounters. So the market is rolling almost for nothing except for randomly generating things. Um, and so, yeah, that's a lot of text. That's like 20,000 new words of text, uh, brand new from a new Word document to cover that kind of stuff. Uh, so, yeah, that's the progress I've made thus far to start the new round of playtesting. But yeah. before I get into that, what have you <laughs> written on Ruin? Uh, well, Ruin, uh, again, uh, like I mentioned earlier, the biggest problem was the thematic, the theme and the concept and how to get that into a game. Uh, because it's one thing to say I want to do architectural horror and then run crazy one-shot games that are sort of idiosyncratic and based on a very personal aesthetic. But how do you get that to where other people could take that get, that book, that game that I write, and then reproduce, have a reasonable something that's close to what I want to do or that I envision because, you know, if you want to, if other people want to play a game of architectural or I want them to be able to run it. And so what I boiled it down to is, you know, by thinking about what architecture is and it's about transforming place, you know, a place, something nature, you know, something wild into something artificial. Uh, and it's about the manipulation 
of that environment to change people, you know, like building architects think about how they can manipulate people through space, you know, through place. Um, you know, a courthouse has a, invokes very different feelings than like a home or a church, you know, like the high ceiling of a courthouse or uh, uh, a church or a cathedral is supposed to invoke sort of feelings of reverence and authority and, you know, like you're being looked down upon by a higher source. And that's very intentional. And so this is a horror game about how place can change you. So uh, especially after our second play test that we played uh, after hours at uh, Bill's house with a full group of six players, uh, I realized that, you know, in some of the rules were working because I wanted this sort of emergent character generation where players generate their character as they go along be to reflect how their environment is changing them, but there's no contrast. So the idea is that you you start with a person that you, but what I realized is people were like, Oh, well I'm a guy, kind of crazy person with a gun. You know, I'm kind of this person, but that was, that was too sort of superficial, I think. So what I'm going to add is uh, I've started outlining rules about like, you will care. Players will have a chance to sort of determine, introduce their player to the group and have a chance to assign some of their points by saying, I'm this kind of person, you know, uh, they can either talk about what their character does for a living, how they are personally, who they know, whatever they feel like, just something that is important. And then they get to assign certain number of investigation, general ability points. Uh, and that's sort of, um, and then they get some other token or something representing, this is who you think you are. Uh, but then uh, in the first scene or something, the first crisis the character has, they will then get a certain number of points based on how they deal with a crisis. You know, how do you act in a crisis? The first time you have a crisis, that's kind of like probably indicative of how you usually act. You know, are you combative or do you run away? Do you stop and think? And that's a package of skills. Yeah, that's a package. That's a package system. Um, and so that's like a, 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 a that also determines you're like you're starting health and stability and mostly general investigation points. Uh, but then as the game go on, I'm going to limit the number of actions because this is something that came up in playtest is that, you know, I, I had these actions you could do to assign points to abilities, but characters, players really got into it. They really like every scene. They're like, oh, I th like one of them is you can assign point, you can describe another player, which is useful, but like, I think you're a kind person. You know, that got kind of... Um, <laughs> Over too dominant, so you know uh, I would probably limit that to once a game, but I will have these things where players can assign unassigned points to determine action. But then also, if they transfer points from things from who you say you are into by doing something dark or violent, something sort of unstable, you can then assign it. You get a bonus. You get more points. If you're like, I think I'm a nice person, but when push comes to shove, I will murder this person who's getting in my way. Okay, well, you get a bonus, but then you'll gain some sort of penalty. For you're that. that guy. You're that this guy. This is why you're in Silent Hill. Yeah, like, this is why you're in Silent Hill. Mm -hmm. um, and I think also from a, another perspective, I also figured out what I need to do in terms of scenarios writing is like, the first few, few scenarios I run for for Ruin have been very uh, Carcosa, Silent Hill influence in that they're very abs very like mercurial environments. They're, like the whole horror is it's very House of Leaves. The place changes around you, which it, it will be a part in the final game. But I realize, especially with that, that works more for smaller groups. That's more of an investigation, more of a slow burn thing. Uh, with six players running 
in every direction at once. Just as soon as you guys, I started you all together, but as soon as you could, everyone went in opposite directions. Uh, I realized I need for a larger group, you need to have more uh, something concrete. And so I'm going to write scenario, a sort of an outline of a, like a whole sandbox environment that could be used for multiple scenarios where it's like, it's a very basic concrete thing. Like you need to get away from the monsters, you know, and you want to help your family or you want to help these citizens get away. So in order to do that, you're like, okay, well, we'll have to find supplies. Okay. Well, we need to fix the car to drive away or we need to open, uh, the buildings lost its power. We need to turn the power back on in order to open the security gates or something like that. So very, very concrete, very easily understood goals and kind of focus on that sort of basic resource management and very survival horror based um, in a kind of a way I'm kind of taking a lot of my inspiration from video games you know because you have everything from like Dead Space to Resident Evil where it's like we need I know I don't want to do like the red key for the blue door but I think <laughs> there is that kind of thing where it's like something everyone can understand and if you get to like you must prove your worth as a human being in order to understand you know, a lot of people don't get the ending of Silent Hill too, or any of the Silent Hills you know they still play the games but they understand okay I need to unlock the door I need a key for the door but they don't understand why James is in Silent Hill or why his wife is sad you know or something like that and so there's kind of this fine line about that and so I'm going to focus more on the concrete stuff rather than the more abstract psychological elements and let the players and GM sort of fill it in for their individual group that'll be more their goal I think that'd be more how you write the book than uh, something represented by mechanics necessarily Because, um, yeah, speaking of Silent Hill, uh, I, I know it's a video game, so it's a different medium. But yeah. uh, I recently having a job again and back to my welfare kid, <laughs> welfare kid roots and I'm spending all my money before someone takes it from me. Yeah. Uh, so I bought a PS4 and the Silent Hill demo. The, the, oh, uh, yeah. yeah. PT. Yeah. That is like pure what I would want a ruin game to be like. The door explodes off his hinges, hits the other wall, and then swings out from the other wall because the door's in that wall now. Like, <laughs> just like, like this. And I want that for non-Lakutian trippy stuff. I, like, I, I, yeah. I want that for ruin. I do, but um, that was creepier to me in yeah. the, than the psycho Bruegel monster chasing me down the hall. Is yeah. that? door is on the other wall now <laughs> it's like the parrot uh, yeah like yeah it, yeah it was it's very much a game of the parrot and, I, and I, I do want that as well because i do think yeah scarier places are more effective than any monster if you can't trust your environment i mean you just like and i tried to do that with the second play test uh, as well um in that i was having again the environment would change around you i would like no it's like this no the, it's it's a range rover now or uh, yeah, yeah you you're you the the door behind you is locked you you just came in there but it's locked well how did that happen um and but that again that also having something to where it's more fixed uh i think as long as it's just like a an unsettling environment um you know i mean video games i i, I kind of uh, I love a lot of these games that are again about these lost in- environments or sort of dead dystopian cities. Um, even like the new Tomb Raider has that element, um, but also like Dead Space and Bioshock and whatnot. Is that they have really great level design and very creative and evocative environments. I mean, I just played the new Tomb Raider, um, you know, the one from last year, and they have built these great environments where Laura Croft is climbing on these planes from World War II. These 
like bunker melding into shantytown melding into ancient ruins sort of seamlessly and it's kind of everything's layered on top of everything else and it's a supernatural environment um i don't think that's much of a spoiler to say that um and it's i love i want to have that for ruin um but again it's hard to gm that kind of thing if it's if you do that too much it's a very light touch i think you know that one door is great but i mean they didn't do that all the time yeah uh, so yeah, that 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 sounds like you're making some progress. So yeah, I think my next step is writing out basically a sandbox scenario environment mm-hmm. with rules. And one thing I'm going to do is like the trigger actions. Like I mentioned this last time, I think in the last episode, which like certain actions will trigger the ability to assign certain points. But I'm definitely going to limit that to specific things where players can't do it every single scene, or they can only do it at certain. Uh, important scenes like you can't assign any NPC to be your enemy it has to be one of the named important NPCs like uh, yeah because that got in well that yeah that goes into the play test yeah yeah so um, that's kind of what I'm focused on so yeah cool just focus on writing writing a place for the game I think that's kind of the important thing so for writing mechanics write the place and then write mechanics for that place so. yeah uh, well uh, you did some playtesting, so we'll yeah. get to that. But now we're on to lessons learned in playtesting. Yes. So if you follow my Twitter, uh, Red Markets is going really well. Uh, so before I get into specifics. Follow his Twitter. Yeah. Uh, Evan on GCal. But for, before I get into specifics, it is uh, coming together. So I don't dread running it anymore or, or like just feel like it's going to be a pain of ripping out pages out of my binders and, you know, wailing at the sky uh, like early playtests. tortured artist. Are you going up to your Uh, Garrett after this? (laughs) Designer, capital D. Get some absinthe. Uh, (laughs) Yes, pretty much. Uh, I I enjoyed running the game. I I feel like people had fun. It wasn't uh, wasn't forced fun. Like, like, uh, don't don't let Caleb start lamenting until he gets home. (laughs) Be nice now. I've Uh, always had fun with your games. Yeah, uh, so... Uh, yeah, so we ran two playtests. Uh, the first one was a market fiat adventure, so it's just a typical design scenario. Right. I did ask what people wanted, and, and Ross wanted something about pace, uh, <laughs> accelerated Christian education. So, uh, yeah, that's kind of up my alley. Educational curriculum. Yeah, educational uh, horror gaming uh, with a distinctly... It's a huge market. Distinctly anti-spiritual message. Uh, weird. <laughs> Way out of my wheelhouse. Um, so they were at a uh, enclave originally founded for religious uh, purposes uh, that it was eventually infiltrated by other survivors because they needed those survivors' goods and skills. Uh, so there was a political really infiltrated then, well there was a political rift uh, yeah. uh, amongst the people uh, and they had uh, staunch uh, bare minimum libertarian government policies Woo! Uh, and the children were running free without any education five years after the partial apocalypse uh, so the uh, idea was to get them education materials but uh, according to the staunch libertarian politics of the enclave you had to do what was ever cheapest so pace accelerated christian education materials were free uh with a l- very nominal fee for online services uh so they were going to do that to all of the children secular and otherwise uh and so the the takers decided to take the job uh, from the secular group, 
which said that if Ye could get educational materials for absolutely free, they would have to accept the secular materials. And uh, one, the client was a former teacher that knew about a convention center that was overrun early in the uh, crisis, the crash. Uh, and so basically the job was to go get rescue boxes of curriculum books from, you know, hordes of screaming undead. Uh, <laughs> you know, typical like you do. Red Market's adventure. So uh, things went pretty well. Um, I learned stuff about the negotiations mechanic. So to refresh, the negotiations is sort of a mini game because while there are simple uses of social skills just for, you know, lie to the guard, stuff like that, yeah. I found that doing something that simplistic in terms of rhetoric is not a very good uh, in emulation or uh, definitely not a simulation of any kind of economic exchange because human beings are not rational actors and they don't have to decide uh, on something with a single die roll and right. all this kind of stuff. So it's a mini game in which you push the opponent to the extremes of what they're willing to pay or they push you down to the extremes of what you're willing to take using sort of social combat. Um, and I found that that was really boring for everyone but the person doing it. Yeah. But at the same time, I couldn't find a way to make it sense with five people yelling at one guy, give us more money, <laughs> which is not a negotiation tactic yeah, I've we seen had, that's yeah. worked anywhere but in prisons. <laughs> um, so uh, that is something I had to fix. Uh, I had to clear up some languorous in character generation, so I... Well, I redid that, too. Oh, yeah. I simplified that, so there's no more archetype system. There's no more package system. Everything's strictly point build, and I'm hoping to use pre-gens to sort of educate people on the the classes that would fit well into the game, Yeah, uh, much like Eclipse Phase does, which... Or Shadowrun. Yeah, or, yeah, limited packets, so. but... Yeah. Arch player archetypes are really useful in RPGs. Yeah, and I think pre-gens can serve that function. Yeah, exactly. Rather than making it a mandatory part. Yeah. So it's strictly point build. So I had to... Some stuff didn't go well in that new drafting, so I had to fix that regarding how potentials were spent. Yeah, because I just gave you guys ten points in general, but like, what's it mean if I have zero potential and stuff like that? Yeah. Um, and then at the end of that play test, I figured there was possibly not enough money in the system, and I might need to recalculate the break point, the break even point. For yeah, the group. yeah, and that was what everybody was telling me. However, I was not sure at that point whether it was not enough money in the system because negotiations didn't go super well, uh, and then there were uh, other options to get additional funds that were turned down or uh, inaccessible due to Aaron rolling dice <laughs> and the the gods of fate that haunt him. Um, so I felt like, you know, well, if you can get all the money you need, but you don't, I feel like that's what the game's all about. Like that crushing, what if we had done like this? Uh, so I wasn't quite ready to pull the trigger yet on that, but it yeah. was a note I took. Uh, so then we did game six, the Springfield game convention. Right. I made 10 bucks. Woo! <laughs> 10 bucks. Um, and by then I changed negotiations. You're selling your copy of the book, not through Brian. Yeah, just no. <laughs> no, no. Uh, I'd for selling no security. Um, so we ended up playing a pickup game. Uh, so there were some changes. Uh, 
I tweaked negotiations. So negotiations work off something called scams now. So you still have, you still have only one negotiator, but it's more cinematic. So after each round, which is again part of what you determine in the midi game, uh, you can then have each other party member has a scam they can run. So if Bill was negotiating for the group uh, with the client who was being played by me, then we go to the other players like, all right, right. we're cutting away from this talk. What on the camera shows what you did to figure out next? So Bill is still sort of shot calling like what he needs. Like, well, I need to know this guy's weak spot. I need to know this guy's, uh, you know, his sticking point. Where won't he go above and how can we move that? Things like yeah. that. And then the player could do something uh, either during that or before that. They come up with a scene with the client while they've been in the enclave that justifies why Bill would have walked in there knowing that. Right. So, for instance, um, building to know the weak spot, one character spent a point to have a contact named uh, Shifty Eddie, which was a fun guy to play, uh, that would uh, pickpocket the guy's phone and they'd find a weak spot. And then they found out that he was an animal lover. So then uh, they found, that's all Bill found out, he couldn't use it. But then the next round, he used another character who had a dog they bought the dog so they brought the dog in to like sit in and negotiate so like it became very Ocean's Eleven like they look like scruffy you know hobos from the wasteland but they're actually pretty smart and pulling sophisticated cons to get their and it's everybody involved and everybody's involved and everyone is actively participating and off their phones and working on the strategy together in this uh, clear delineation between role playing and out of character strategy talk, which yeah. was really fun, uh, we did random job generation. Yeah. Uh, so for that, I, I rolled on the tables and I got a speculative escort for a fixer with raider competition and an incomplete brief. So I rolled on tables for goods. So speculative goods have variable value. If the market pops, they're not good. Uh, escort is services, so they had to take them somewhere uh, and keep them safe. Uh, the fixer is a professional negotiator, basically. Uh, then you've got uh, raiders, which, you know, typical shoulder pads and mohawks. <laughs> uh, and then, Mad Max cosplay. Yeah. And an incomplete brief, meaning they don't know everything about the job. Right. So I came up with a uh, post-apocalyptic punk band that played specifically in the loss uh, and they were going to put on a big show for their final concert. Uh, the incomplete brief was is that they were going to stay in the loss because it had been revealed back in the recession that they were all immune. So they were basically pumping million dollar blood through all of their veins. Uh, so the concert became quite a bit more uh, bloodthirsty outside of the mosh pit and the takers had to protect them until the concert was done so that the fixer could pay them the fee. Uh, And that's the narrative I came up with to fit that, but much like uh, the Dirty World random generation mechanics for crimes, you know, it just gives you these evocative terms and brief explanations of what those could be. So it's not, I mean, you don't just roll and start the adventure. You still need to You still need to craft a narrative, but it is somewhat randomized, and I did make it at the table. Yeah. Uh, So... That worked out well. It worked like a job, like any other. Yeah. Uh, and then I had new players. I had four new players. So David and Bill were familiar with the system, but uh, the new players were completely had no Which idea what goers, to do. Yeah. Con goers. 
Uh, so Ethan and you know his brother and all those yeah. guys. Uh, which hello, um, <laughs> and they seem to have a good time. So uh, I translated that into a story. Uh, the new negotiation worked great. Uh, everyone seemed really into it. It did seem very different from the rest of the game. I don't know if that's a bug or a feature. Uh, uh, the new language was mostly clear. So character generation went well. They made they wanted to make their own characters, so I was interested to see that. Uh, but then I, we definitely need more money. Yeah, uh, as you guys are right, uh, as they were hemorrhaging money. So I'm not sure how. I have some ways I'm going to fix that, but we need to fix some more money in the economy. But combat went well. Uh, they were all very challenged. Right. David almost died. Uh, the last thing I realized is that my dice are broken. <laughs> like, we not only rolled a insane amount of critical failures a la Ross in the first play test. <laughs> uh, I was using your dice, They too, were yeah. specifically sevens and sevens. Like, to the point where Bill started calculating probability, because, you know, Bill. <laughs> and we were in the millions of, uh, you know... Yeah, it was one in a million chances that this would happen. Yeah, uh, if they're weighed at, specifically, if the but they're not weighed accurately. So yeah. I'm gonna have to look into sharp edge dice as a you know reward or stretch goal or something yeah. uh, for red markets. But that's not too big of a hurdle to jump. No. So I sure learned I a lot of stuff, but basically the game works. People had fun for a session. Yeah. <laughs> um, I wrote session fairly quickly which is one yeah. of the goals of the GM stuff uh, so it, it does work and it, there's only really macro stuff less to test like yeah. as a complete unit for a four hour game and it was a con game so it was four hours yeah. even character creation we, we got through and it was fun so woohoo woo. how about Ruin Ross uh, well, you were there for that playtest. I, I was actually at the booth for that while you guys were playing because you know Thank somebody you. had to sell your book for you. So, well, somebody had to do the playtest the night before, so <laughs> I think we traded off. All right, fair enough. Uh, so, ruin. Um, if this we start bickering like married couple, then what are you going to do with Tom? <laughs> I, I don't know. That's your whole shtick. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, the fans will be. Well, I, I mean, I can do the announcer voice. Tom that just triggers Tom. I mean, he can't <laughs> not respond to that. Very so. true. Yeah. So uh, for Ruin, I wrote another scenario uh, to play test uh, because again we had additional players uh, for the con. And what I wanted to do was again sort of a sandboxing where I wrote up an environment, uh, and I basically had the idea that there would be a backstory because I've talked about this before that the idea behind Ruin is that you know the Cthulhu mythos uh, or mythos technology, hybrid geometry, sorcery, whatever you want to call it, is basically creates byproduct, toxic byproduct. So basically pollutes environments, makes them, you know, fucking turns them into House of Leaves or Silent Hill, basically. So uh, I had the idea in some city somewhere in America, there would be in the 19th century where the city, downtown stands in the here and now, uh, there was a commune of utopian spiritualists and they performed, they got a mythos tome and they performed a ritual and they all disappear, but that kind of caused this sort of cancerous hole in the universe you know in the multiverse uh which laid latent until the 1950s when a grad student found the spiritualist tomes uh and recited them on the same site because by then a, a library annex for the university had been built on the same site and a bar was next door o'tooley's and uh, so he recited it and then that created what i call the nullity and the nullity basically it it operates as sort of a, a black hole for uh, people. Where if when it, but the idea is if you're near the nullity but you're not 
pulled in all the way. If you're pulled in all the way, you're just you're either gone or you turn into something, you know, you know, a monster uh, of some sort. Um, the idea is if you're close to it, you realize and you can figure out its nature. You can, if you can trick someone else into getting closer to it uh, and get getting pulled in, it transforms the environment to something you're thinking about. So it, it, so people. Now, I, I don't know if the nullity just does this, re, uh, if it wants this, or if it's just an automatic action, but people that interpret, oh, I must feed the nullity, I must do this. So they, there's this kind of fucked up environment where people uh, are luring innocent people into it. And so in the here and now, the nullity is in downtown, and occasionally the cops who are there stationed downtown, they're sort of corrupted by the nullity on a subconscious level. So every night, you know, on a weekend, whenever business is down downtown, people are bitching at them. They, they, they push all the drunks out near to where the nullity is and they just, they don't arrest them. They just, you can't stay here and they, they get their ride shields and that's where the game starts because everybody's stumbling out of a bar and the cops are pushing you out away from your cars, away from your, where you're, where there's light and safety in the dark, the squalid part of downtown and the only way to get home is to go through a car park and then you know one of those multi-story car parks and then to O'Toole's bar but of course things get bad and um, things get fucked up but I let the players leave the first night because what happens is one of the players finds out one of their loved ones so oh, I, was, I went looking for you know PC1 uh, it said he he left a message saying he's at O'Toole's bar. So the players, oh, I have to go back to O'Toole's bar, but O'Toole's bar isn't there. So they they start investigating. Um, the first problem I realized is this was kind of sort of a slow burn, sort of um, more subtle thing where I met I envision more with a smaller group. It doesn't work so well with six players because while I was ready for players going in any one angle, basically everyone went there. There were three pairs of players you know each one going in a different direction or there were see bill went off by himself uh jason and ethan went in one direction and then where did you who did you go with david went with me yeah david went with you and so everybody was going in different directions and uh, playing in different plot hooks and i wasn't really ready for that and yeah and i think that's something the the game itself is going to have to address because the sort of uh, psychological horror because I don't I don't really view the architectural horror you're you're going for as so yeah. much cosmic horror as it is very much psychological horror. Yeah. At least in the models that I'm used to of like House of Leaves and yeah. JG Ballard and stuff like that. Like it's not colors out of space. It's you know your psyche yeah represented as a space. Right. Um and I think part of the main scary thing about those sort of stories is the sense of isolation. Yeah. And so, you know, finding a way to do that with a group of six players. Well, that's is why it's going to be, yeah. A, yeah, is one of the design challenges. I, I think that's why I really like I'm going to write this sandbox environment where the, pl- the goal is we need to turn the generator on or we need to open this door, this security gate, or we need to fix this boat so we can get off this, you know, so, so we can escape this place. So it's very like everyone has to work together or everyone will die kind of challenges. Um, and that's uh, the kind of thing I realized that's the only thing that works with six players because you can't really do like, where's my missing wife? Oh God, my business rival is trying to kill me or, you know, my, uh, uh, and that that kind of happened uh, pretty quickly. People, players were guys picked up on the rules pretty quickly um, and started using them, especially like the as I mentioned earlier, the describe other PCs action. Um, 
I think the con the damage and sanity. Well, Aaron were, and I had played before. So yeah, yeah, that we, helped. We did. We help out with that. Um, I think maybe too. <laughs> Not to the benefit of the game, but well, I mean, again, it, it kind of needed that because I realized, yeah, I have to tone that down. Uh, I, I think maybe that's kind of the thing where maybe it's based on the number of players, how often you can do it. Yeah, like if you have two players, they could do it every scene, but if it's like six players, very much like Gumshoe is capped mm-hmm. investigatively depending on the number of players. Yeah, so the, the, the type of triggering actions, yeah, uh, have to be limited by the number of players as well, just because there's only so much time the GM can allocate to each player. Otherwise, Jason and Ethan decide a random library and is their sworn enemy <laughs> and throw him into a pit of nothingness yeah. for reasons. <laughs> but that was kind of the things I wanted was that like the idea was would the players like get corrupted and like, oh, well, if I throw someone into this thing, I'll get power, I'll, get, I'll be able to escape or be, you know, again, the environment changed them. Mm-hmm. Um, Ethan didn't start out this as a gun-carrying crazy person, but that's how he wound up as, uh, at least his character did. Yeah. Uh, so... That those were lessons learned. Um, I think the the con, like I said, that the misfortune rules, um, uh, which represents again your like. I think work is a kind of like corruption mechanic, uh, where if you're you have contact with the the, the nullity or the thing and the you know the the cosmic horror supernatural bits, you get tainted and you have to do something to be to resolve that otherwise yeah you can't just take random character points to be more powerful there's yeah a, there's a cost to yeah. that and it's a more psychological cost yeah but yeah uh but yeah i need to limit things i need to f- really focus like uh, ruin is I, I sort of at one point envisioned more of a toolkit game but i realize it's very much play- based on specific things so it's more of a sandbox game i just have to write specific sandboxes for it and provide rules for writing your own sandbox and then allow so I think that's kind of a sandbox creation horror game, survival horror game. But you have to have a specific sandbox before you start. You can't just start out with you're in a place and things happen. You know, you have to know like if you're in PT, if doors can fly off and you know on other walls and open up to new places, then you have to understand why. You as a game master have to understand the uh, economy and the ecology of that place. You know, more details. Yeah, it, it can't be an entirely improv thing unless yeah. you're have Escher mind and yeah. the linguistic ability to explain it to your players. Yeah. I mean, I mean the thing is uh, what I was really afraid of was well, that everything seemed to grant everything. There was a reason behind everything in that. And I just wanted players to, I mean, I was able to foreshadow specific things because one player took visions and that was a good excuse. Like, Hey, yeah, here's some things that are happening and uh, foreshadow some of the backstory and uh, some of the, their future encounters um, and explained the, uh, the scary monster, uh, in the car park, the the lights, you know, uh, as it were. Uh, but I mean, in terms of you, like in your reactions, uh, yeah, there were the places because there were six players and players were wanting to min max, which I I would anticipated, so I kind of saw that coming. Uh, but otherwise, I mean, did what stood out to you? I was going. Oh uh, well, as I said in the game, I think it's really interesting in that uh, making your character in ruin is spotlight time. Like, yeah you are focusing on that character and their backstory and having to do some role-playing in order to assign, assign things in your sheet. Uh, but the thing I found interesting about it, and like I said, I don't, think it's a, I, think it's a, I don't think it's a bug, I think it's a feature, but I think it was problematic when we had six players after a 12-hour con day yeah. that were getting a little loopy. We also uh, had a lot of beer there, too. <laughs> 
Yeah, a little bit. Um, but yeah, uh, I think that's interesting because, like, with Gumshoe, you're spending in addition to have spotlight time. Yeah. So when you gain the points and that spotlight for your character, yeah, and you spend the points and that spotlight for your paper character because you're doing something investigative yeah you're doing a big general ability spend something like that you've basically doubled the length of the game like like because in a traditional gumshoe game you only have half that yeah uh so i found that interesting i think that's awesome yeah i think that like everything you do in the game whether it is rolling a die or making it making yourself capable to roll that die is about your character is awesome but I think, you know, going back to my focus, the economy of that in terms of narrative points and yeah. how you spend that is something that will probably need to be tweaked according to the number Yeah, I think I'll definitely tone down the number of points you start. You can uh, – potential points that you get. Um, and again, like – you get to say, I think, I think maybe Are up the packages or well, the package, I think they're kind of fine. I think what I'm going to do is have more of the transfer point actions where like you can just say who you are at the beginning of the game, but then you can transfer those points into murder hobo stuff, you know, uh, as the situation fits, but you gain misfortune for it. Um, yeah. So I think that's going to be one solution is like more on transferring your points. You think I'm, I'm a good, uh, uh, you know, I'm a businessman. I do these things. I have, personal abilities well later on in the game well yeah but i i really need to kill that crazy guy who's trying to kill me so i'll transfer some points and say i have a problem with violence i have i have a temper problem so i really have six points in fighting you know i don't real i'm not really good at talking to people i just you know say i am you know i just think i am so that gives you misfortune but you get those points you can fight off that crazy guy or something like that so more of the transferring you're not who you say you are this yeah. is who you really are it reveals you through your the place reveals who you really are um that's one of the things about the game that i want to do is like because again those survival horror stories are much a lot about those kind of narratives you think you're this person at the beginning but then as you the environment takes its toll on you and the the horror revolves uh, unravels around you you realize oh isaac clark isn't just some space janitor you know he is a crazy person who was really good at killing things (laughs) uh and probably a schizophrenia Mm -hmm. or you know, parse, you know, whatever, you know, he's not the person you think he is at the beginning of the game. He's, you know, he portrays himself differently until he found his life partner and kill zone. Yeah. <laughs> they settled down in a house in Nantucket. Is that your head cannon? Uh, yes, totally. <laughs> um, so that's, that's getting into what I wanted to talk about next of so the to do list. So yeah. we've suffered through the valley <laughs> of playtesting. Uh, we've Making made progress. we've made progress and we've learned some things from playtesting. So yeah. you've kind of already started talking about it. So yeah, yeah. what's next on the list for Ruined? Uh, the big thing is I'm going to talk write a scenario uh, that will have specific instances of triggering actions, like being able to assign potential points. And the basic concept of it is you're in a small town, you're a small environment, and basically the nullity or a nullity is some sort of cosmic horror cancer, you know, death spot pops up, monsters, horrific things start pouring out of it it's not going to be a zombie apocalypse type thing but it's going to be like the invite this entire place is going to be quickly evident that this place is going to be you don't have to say zombie apocalypse which that's scorn Ross. yeah oh, <laughs> nothing um, cliche like that yeah, 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 already- yeah. who would do it like that in this day and age <laughs> yeah. um it's it's going to be quickly evident that the players will either like they either can either try and figure out what's going on and try and stop it or they can escape 
you know and like the whole thing will be like survival horror you will have to it's about like getting food and weapons and getting a vehicle and getting shelter and that kind of thing so you can escape or so you can try and save the day or probably not save the day but you know <laughs> um so that that's what i'm going to write and it's um so i need to i've realized i need to get a map of the place so i can figure out so i'm 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 also trying to figure out what i was going to do an island but that island's kind of cliched i think it's also just too convenient you know of a place to have that kind of like where people like i want a place where there's normal people and you know why would they be there why would they be in some isolated island like i originally was going to do battleship island which is off the coast of japan and is very a creepy place but like why would you have a town's worth of people there you know and why would there, all these resources be there in the here and now you know? yeah so um so some sort of and i don't want to do like a large city because that's just too complex to simulate with survival horror yeah. unless 99 percent of the people are dead you know which is you could little. do uh, Springfield Underground or something. Like, yeah. Go real pinchy in with it. Just entire cultures of people. And, yeah. Oh, no, we've always been here. Uh, I mean, that would no. be part of it. Like, um, But I'm, I'm just going to write someplace with uh, a, a sort of s- small town, maybe a factory town or something like that. Yeah. So there's large factories because those are cool. And, and basically write it up, write the people who are going to be in there and describe what can be done. And like how if you want to escape, here's how you do it. And if you want to investigate it, figure out what's causing this, here's how you do it. If you want to stop it, that's an entirely another set of rules. So like um and then let the pe- then just make it a sandbox scenario. Here's what's going on. Here's the time you know, and then have the timeline, write it down. So that that's gonna be the next thing. So the first version of Ruined is really just gonna be like gumshoe OGL plus this twenty thousand word sandbox scenario yeah and i might even do that as a simple release as like the beta version of that Mm -hmm. uh and then from that extrapolate more like sandbox rules and more universal mechanics but yeah start with that so sandbox (laughs) you should say sandbag some more sandbox like al gore with lockbox i know lockbox (laughs) topical al gore's election yeah, so no, old. cutting edge <laughs> between yeah, Pilgrim Progress and this. Yeah, <laughs> we're at the cusp of the 21st century. <laughs> totally. Uh, yeah. So um, I have a minor challenge from for red markets yeah. to fix the challenge level economically with the amount of bounty you get. Yeah, I've always thought, and I've mentioned this to you before, that I always thought the, the game of red markets shouldn't. I mean, it is a game of attrition, but it should also takers the only sense historically speaking if there's people taking those kind of risks like the only reason it would make it because it'd be like a wild west or pirate thing where they can make huge scores um but then they piss it all away like they should have lots and lots of money if they do a really good job but then it's just it gets eaten away one way or the other just it just slips through their fingers and that's even more horrific you like i had it and then like I had to pay everybody off and then I had to not go crazy or then the con artist took me out of money or like, you know, that new kind of problem, more money, more problems. Yeah. So um, that's my, my perspective. So yeah, I do, I do need to give them more funds in general yeah. uh, to sort of have incentive. You have to incentivize the players to right. keep going out like that beyond the, 
uh, out of character incentive of do you want to play a game tonight or not. Yeah, uh, the, there needs to be some sort of character motivation, and I'm not giving them enough to make it worthwhile to do it. Right. So uh, I can recalculate group upkeep like I originally did in the first game. So as of now, you need a point of bounty for rent at the enclave. You need a point of bounty for survival, just food yeah. and stuff. And then you need bounty for all your dependents. And that's your personal bounty, and you add that up and make your outfit bounty. Right. Uh, that's what it is now. Previously, you also added up all of your gear and your total gear upkeep. And then all of the stuff you wanted to buy. And that got really, you know, that got really demarcated it became a really big calculation kind of thing and i was thinking well the stuff's important the gear keeps you alive but if you're still not acknowledging that like keeping your kids alive or the people you're caring for your dependents or keeping your business associates happy if you're not acknowledging that's more important than how many bullets are in the gun then that sort of defeats the whole economic horror idea that I wanted to simulate in that, yes, the bullets are really important in certain scenarios and you'll be happy if you have them if they're there, but that's not how real spending money works. Like, right. And there are damaging things for being you know, a crazy nutbag that just sits in his house by himself with his guns. Like, <laughs> uh, so, you know, the, you know being, a, being a typical player character... A player character in Red Markets is, uh, you know, a typical player character in Red Markets is an NPC because they're crazy and nuts and they're the enemy now. Like, um, so one thing I thought rather than recalculating group upkeep to make it totally particulate and like an uh, Excel spreadsheet is keep it the way it is now, but add into the negotiation mechanics. So you have your break even point. You add your break-even point of the bare minimum you can survive off onto, onto the supply-demand generated uh, market price. So the, yeah. bra- the 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 market price for that good and service, which there is a random roll table where you know red is supply and black is demand. That's where you're at on the chart. It gives you a description of like if you're in a monopoly, if you're in a scarcity. If you, you know how yeah, things yeah. are being affected, and then what could be done in negotiations is that the scams could go towards helping the negotiator, or the scams could go towards the enclave and manipulating supply and demand. So if you want to spend your scam to try and sneak in and puncture a bunch of water bottles, so that wow, your water run just got way more expensive, <laughs> uh, like you could do that, and that's another way to manipulate Speculate, price. Yeah. And then, since that's random rolls, yet again, you have a chance to big play, you know, get big if the enclave has a huge need, yeah, or you're the only one providing the service, uh, and you have a monopoly like a ten ten, uh, and then that's also just adding, you know, tens of bounties to every job, which would help pay for gear, and then from there you can still add per diems, and then you know risk pay and all the other stuff in the negotiation mechanic so i'm probably going to combine the random roll stuff for the market making jobs and add in that randomness and the price in addition to the group break-even point yeah um then from there if that works individually combat's working pretty well really all that's left to do Playtesting wise is macro stuff like so character advancement, healing, and humanity costs. 
uh, how much the how much bound I want it to all be financial, of course, to support the game's theme. Right. But how much right. is too much for that? And then the other macro thing I need to test is interludes as alternatives to legs. So right now, your your jobs have legs of the journey, which right. are random encounters. One uh, one encounter per leg. One encounter per leg. Uh, and then uh, your I want an alternative to that where you can just straight role play. Yeah. You can't do that all the time, but it's a it's a mechanic much like in Savage Worlds, where if you draw a certain suit of card, your character must monologue or speak to another character about that subject determine since there's so much random rolling going on with the d10s i want something short just a flat d10 table of like um where you were when the crash started like yeah. you know that kind of stuff where you have an interlude and you kind of give a character moment and and it also encourages role playing because if you're giving a character moment you're not interrupted by an aberrant or a pack of feral dogs or raiders trying to kill you. Aberrants being the special yeah, the boss special, monster. Yeah, the special boss monster stuff. Yeah. Uh, and it, it's a way to save money for those grognards. But it's like, all right, you want to save money, grognard? Yeah. Role play a character and I won't attack you with a horrible thing. Like, yeah. you know, uh, the, 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 uh, wandering monster trap. Yeah. I won't break out the wandering monster table if you tell me about your childhood. <laughs> like <laughs> it's like Frankenstein looking at a torch. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I, I don't play bad. Maybe I will incentivize it enough. I don't know. Um, and then lastly, I figured out what I want to do with retirement plans. Yeah. Because I, I I've always wanted one of the part of the game to be like, don't be a PC. It's a terrible life. Yeah. Um, murder hobo life and I realized that it does need to be something you invest in but there's not a lot of incentive to invest in being out of the game yeah for that character so what it'll be is like you move in your retirement plans you'll invest but you'll hit milestones and the milestones will be jobs that will feed everybody so it'll be just another game that you can go along with your uh, party and stuff but it's specifically for setting up your character's retirement plan so like you need to get your dependents out of the loss you have enough money to get uh, Timmy the morality pet and grandma <laughs> helpless across the river to safety morality pet I like that uh, yeah and you, you can do that so that is a whole operation you've got to smuggle them through the zombie waste you got to get right. them across the border you got to get them new papers that's a whole job in of itself, and you get a benefit for that because you no longer have to pay upkeep for them. They're they're free. They're good. You get a the game suddenly becomes much harder for you because yeah. they're not there to talk to. You can Skype them occasionally, but you are Snell's not supposed to be there. Uh, so you have to set up your own identity, or if you set up a nest egg, so you don't have to work again. So like, I'm going to set up a retirement plan. So you are investing. You are putting spare bounty in that when you can. Uh, and then eventually you'll hit a story milestone. Next game in the campaign is we help your character out. Right. You need to get the hell out of this crazy place. Retirement. Yeah, retirement. Um, so I'm going to try and see if that works. Yeah. Uh, and then l that's just the testing stuff. Beyond that, I just need to write setting material because that's not going to change at this point. The setting, I've been right. thinking about it for a year or two now. It's pretty solidified in my head. I may add stuff, but nothing that's massively changing. Yeah, uh, I have an outline written, so I've got a novella already. It's 20,000 words. I've got the chapters I need to finish yeah. outline, and I just need time to write it. Uh, 
I've got the whole book outlined, so by chapter. So I'm pretty sure I'm going to start with a in-character setting chapter called The History of the Crash from the uh, main in-character setting uh, NPC called Nat. Uh, and then after that, I will do Playing Red Markets, which is basically the player chapter. So talking about the profit system, how the dice work. Yeah. That kind of stuff. Um, then I have in mind a chapter called Best Practices by another in-character character, which covers like how to use gear tactics, uh, you know, the kind of... Because I, I, I think that Red Markets, as we've been playtesting, does work best if your group of takers has a specific kind of class system. Like, if you have a latent with a melee weapon, a gun bunny... And no negotiator, you're going out there and risking your lives for nothing. If you right. have a, if you have the high school debate team, and they leave the they leave the fence, it's not going to work well when the right. zombies. So niche protection, you need like different niches. Yeah, it does reward some sort of diversification. So yeah. like a, a chapter in character about that because that can easily be justified as story stuff. Right. In addition to being part of the mechanics. Uh, then I have one on the loss, which is just your typical evocative setting material. Like, yeah. here are the different types of cults. Here are the different types of special You had a great cult casualties. for the, uh, educational scenario, by the way. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I, oh, my. <laughs> Cults, cult compliments. Um, yeah. Uh, so, yeah. I, You're not even going to tell the listeners about it, though? Uh, yeah. What did I call them? I forgot. Cleansers or something? Something like that, yeah. I, I, I will decide when I write it, Yeah, yeah. Uh, obviously. But they're people who are so broken... That th- their goal is just to uh, well, it was some, it was somebody no purifiers. Is the, like the, well, the cult was called pure math. Pure math, yeah. And the the goal is that you know if if humanity is going to be saved, we have to kill more casualties than they kill us. Like yeah. it's just so the the holiness of that cult is the more casualties zombies that that you take with you, the holier you are. So yeah. your your goal is to forego everything in a sort of aesthetic purity. And just try and kill as many as possible before they kill you. Yeah. Because you've lost so many of your family members and seen so much horrific stuff that you're ready to go out anyway. You're just yeah. trying to fool yourself that... Kill death You've ratio. served... Yeah, KD ratio as is now... sacrament, yeah. Yeah, as sacrament for humanity. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that's the kind of stuff to be the loss. Evocative setting material. Three paragraphs about a crazy cult. Make your scenarios about it. Yeah. Um... Then I have a chapter of the Carrion Economy, which is going to be about the, the recession. Yeah. Uh, texture, which is quarantine architecture. Uh, global economy and global trade as it exists. And the setting outside of America. Uh, and then, lastly, the running the market chapter for the GM. Yeah. Now, obviously, uh, that is a huge book. Yeah. So, with a ton of art. So, some of those chapters are going to depend on stretch goals. Right. Like, I think the book could survive with history of the crash, playing red markets, and running the market. Yeah. But I would like to include more, but it'll depend on how much it makes. Yeah. And also, when am I going to write it? So, to be perfectly honest, while I am picking away at it as much as I can, yeah. Um, I'm never going to make progress to a kickstartable point until we hit the summer. Yeah, and I can start hitting those word levels I was taking on like no soul left behind like yeah two thousand five thousand k word days yeah and I just can't do that teaching six classes and no stuff uh, so there's that and then there's also 
Well, I'm not doing the setting material yet because I'm still picking away at the rewrite. Right. And then I've got to take once the rules with the rewritten and make sure I've written them in the way that I can teach people I've never met to play the game. Yeah. So that's beta testing. How much do I cut out to make it spare enough to test it? Who do I give it to? That kind of stuff. Just remember, Horrors of War literally was being playtested before Kickstarter existed. (laughs) So the Zeppelin scenario was 2008 or 2007 when I played it. So And it just... Their Kickstarter just finished this year, not too long ago. So I think people, if people will wait for the the brilliant, you know, historical stylings of Mr. Adam Scott Glancy and Pagan Publishing, you know, they can wait an extra few months for Red Markets, you know. So don't feel too bad. You are not at Duke Nukem levels yet. Duke Nukem Forever levels. Yay. Yet. <laughs> uh, yeah, and I and I definitely don't want to. I think I could do it sometime next year while I was in school. Yeah. Like Kickstarter wise, ideally, but then you know and and as we will talk about with Kickstarter level, Kickstarter is what you plug of it. Yeah. Uh me working a twelve hour day in school is not a great way to up my web presence to the no. point where it needs to be. Well, so yeah, and again obviously, I, I may uh, be waiting till yeah. summer after next when yeah. I can like get a full month off to do it or taking time off of work if I can. Yeah. Uh, so stuff of that nature. Also, I'd really like to if if it's good enough. I'd really like to run it by Metatopia next year. Yeah. If I could get off in November Which to go is do a game that. Developer con. Yeah, where, where game test developers games. test other game developers' yeah. games, which is pretty boss. Uh, so yeah, that's that's far end stuff. So basically, fix the few micro things, write the macro things for a big play test, and then beta testing and setting material yeah. at the, as I can do it. I mean, I don't want to get too much into it, but you, you, your point about Kickstarter, like one thing I did learn about Bowling Point is you really, I think if you had a, if I had a bullet down Kickstarter advice in one thing, it would be you have to make your case to the public for it. And I didn't do that, but like the thing with No So Left Behind and Base Raiders was that because we'd done like six months to a year of podcasting before either Kickstarter, you know, No So Left Behind was like 13 episodes Base Raiders was the 30 session campaign, 29 session campaign of Here's a New Arcadia. We did that for like six months to a year before those either Kickstarter. With Boiling Point, I, I kind of just sprung it on people. And that's, um, I think with Red Markets, you're kind of helping with that. But, um, and, yeah. I, and I do want to release APs before we get yeah. out. And like, and one of the things I'm thrilled about with the latest playtest is like, if these were the first Red Market APs ever released, yeah, I would be okay with that. Yeah. So long as I added a five second thing before the game, it was like, alpha this is rules. still an alpha. Stuff will change. This is basically the setting. What's going to be like? Because I don't feel like it was broken, and I feel like it's a fun play experience. And yeah. I feel like it was a somewhat accurate, if not totally accurate, to the spirit portrayal of yeah. what the game is going to be. Whereas the first or second, especially the second play test. Uh, <laughs> Meat is murder. They, oh, no, <laughs> uh, that is not something I want to be like my work, my game's first, yeah, the, 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 first stumbling steps into the world. Yeah, the nullity is not going to be the, the crown jewel of the ruin AP experience. I think there's good stuff in it. There's good stuff in me is murder, too. And yeah. I, yeah, I think it's funny, and I think yeah. some people have That's fun. definitely something as a bonus. But, like, yeah, definitely something worth listening to as a bonus, but not, like... 
this the is, thing I want. This to is pop. not indicative. Yeah, like, I don't want that to pop up on the Google yeah. search, like for the first <laughs> thing of the game. Like, so, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, so you know, one thing I, I've been thinking about, especially like with Ruin, was that instead of doing like one big fuck all, you know, here's this book and here here's Ruin all its glory. Like with Ruin, I might do like a series of smaller Kickstarters. Like one is like here's Ruin, you know. Uh, ruin colon slash this town or whatever and then just like have this this sandbox scenario set up with the, the gumshoe OGL rules and just like here's survival horror in this architectural sort of theme and here are these new rules here's version one uh, and do a small kickstarter for that and then based on that feedback then do a larger version and so do an incremental thing where it's, I mean, like one thing a lot about game develop these days is iteration, you know, like video games, especially let's just keep patching that shit. You know, let's keep adding updates. Let's keep adding stuff instead of doing the, the previous sort of paradigm of like, here is our big fuck all book. It's awesome. And we're done. We're going to walk away from it. It's perfect, you know, or whatever. And I think, uh, red markets, uh, certainly I think would definitely benefit from at least having a, uh, Ashcan version. Yeah. And that's, part of the thing about the the beta setting like because yeah. i feel like the the fact that i'm using zombies is probably going to require more setting material than less because i know it is sort of a standard post-apocalyptic trope but i yeah i, I don't feel like i'm a bright and beautiful snowflake but i do feel like uh the economics angle of it in that part of the world has survived yeah and you know part of the world is homo secor and like the sort of you know, yeah, the fact that it's that there is a normal part of the world is definitely distinguished. Like certainly, bear, like because the standard zombie puzzle everywhere is bad and zombies everywhere. There are eighteen trillion zombies per square meter. As I said in one comment to a game designers workshop episode, is like I am painfully aware that Romero's Land of the Dead is the closest film model <laughs> for my setting, and it is terrifying because <laughs> I would love to take the concept of paying underclasses out to go out and do dangerous horrible things for upper classes I think that's a beautiful materialist <laughs> model for storytelling yeah I just don't want Dennis Hopper and Thomas Jane acting and John at the table. yeah and especially John Leguizamo. <laughs> uh, so that's the thing I feel like it's gonna require more setting to get an accurate play test for people yeah to seriously because uh, he, he, you know, I don't want to say it's like Land of the Dead. Go, and <laughs> that's nothing like <laughs> it's what it is. Uh, no, it's good. It, no, stop running, please. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Come back. Uh, yeah. So that's something, and then also that's another thing with the macro play test is that we've been pretty loosey goosey role playing wise. Yeah. and having fun at the table. It, it's not exactly been no, our group was called Libertarian Paradise. Yeah, it's not exactly been no evil yeah. taking the setting seriously. Yeah, kind of role playing. Even at no evil was half Futurama, half Dead Space. Well, yeah, but there was the Dead Space half. Yeah. Whereas it was like it's well, I'm bit now, wackity schmackity. <laughs> like I don't want that to be. I mean, if you have fun playing that, that's fine yeah. and it's great for one shots. But the macro stuff is not going to be meant to reinforce that and play yeah, yeah. so it, i think we will probably have a moment before we start the ap of a campaign play test to be like hey yeah bring it down like yeah, let's yeah. let's try and keep it more serious and yeah stuff. uh but but yeah that's that is one we'll have to do a whole episode over how you get a beta together because like I'm, I'm writing the rules i have notes for all the rules 
enough to run a successful game, but you've got to write it in such a way that it teaches people to play the game. And how much do you include? Yeah. But in terms of like DLC for R- RPGs, I am always already thinking in that range. I'm thinking of other narratives and settings. Right. That DLC f- would be PDF supplements. Yeah, yeah. I am thinking of other narratives and settings that would fit the yeah. profit system. So stretch goals like oh, uh, that's a name for it now. Uh, I think so. I don't know. <laughs> what do you guys think? <laughs> Drop it in the comments. Uh, I won't pay you anything or probably even give you credit See, what for we, it, we really need to do is do a movie tie-in like you know like because <laughs> our my game design spirit animals overkill software <laughs> no are you sure no we do not can we I add keanu reeves that. no we cannot uh, <laughs> but uh, while i don't want to go full-on movie trailer for the kickstarter another thing to talk about in a future episode yeah. is that now that i have a job yeah uh, i am of the opinion that early investment in kickstarter i.e stupid risky investment in art and stuff for stuff he doesn't pay off yeah is is a good investment like so now that i am not hand to mouth yeah i am very carefully saving up so i can get like some decent cover art a decent trailer that really shows off what the Um, game's gonna be uh, and that's something that look over after we get to the beta testing phase and when we get on the Kickstarter planning phase, yeah, uh, something else to talk about. Um, one interesting thing, uh, a couple of months ago, like two months ago, something like that, uh, there was a Kickstarter for Spirit of 77, uh, yes. which is tabletop RPG 70s exploitation slash black exploitation, uh, film. I think it was Apocalypse World Engine, yes. Um, and they did very well. They got like twenty or thirty grand, I think twenty five thousand dollars out of like seven thousand seven hundred seventy seven dollar goal, which was clever. But uh, I think one of the big reasons they did so well is they have some really great cover art. Uh, the you saw you you know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, they had great cover art. They uh, had well, a- well, the thing is, uh, is I was reading on the essay forums the guy the author posts there and he talks about it and one post is like yeah we paid uh, for great cover you need to pay at least a thousand dollars and so that's what he paid I think that's what he paid. he was saying how much the cover art for Spirit Seven Seven cost because he was getting it from like someone who does Magic the Gathering card art or someone like that so it's in a thousand dollar range so like but that paid off for him because it was so uh, so that's just you know one data point. From one indie to For any artist listening, I would like to uh, <laughs> have a caveat that uh, great is not an objective term. No, it is totally subjective. Uh, and uh, I, I believe well, he was. I believe that you can give me your greatest work any day of the week yeah. for any price. Well, I mean, uh, so he, I'm not yeah. saying I'm going to skimp on an artist, but like, yeah. uh, I, I don't know if I'd pay a thousand bucks or be able to. But what I what I do hear from you is that like, yes, it needs to be in the range of. If this Kickstarter fails, I am going to feel really stupid for yeah. spending this much money on a painting that will taunt me with my failure. For the well, one, one thing I do. Uh, yeah. So I, I do feel like that's racist. They also had a very solid trailer for that. Yes, that was another uh, thing. That they made. It was well produced. It was kind of a Pulp Fiction uh, kind of thing. But, you know, the agony of Kickstarter, it was also an apocalypse world hack, which is like super popular. fate hack blank world hack now yeah. in terms of like everything on RPG sales slash Pathfinder adventure. Yeah. So there's like a huge market ponies <laughs> Pathfinder ponies. Think. Yeah. So there's a huge, you think mar- I'm joking. Yeah, I'm not. There's a huge market for that kind of stuff. Uh, that's built in. You've already have an yeah. audience that is looking, even an audience that isn't necessarily 
exploitation or 70s movies but is well i think one of the reasons why they use that particular artist who is you know like a pro is because they wanted to ape that specific style of 70s movie poster which that like that not every artist can do that like zombies like i've seen a thousand different like interpretations of zombies in different styles so like any number of styles would work for that but if you want to do 70s you really need that kind of painted Ill- yeah. yeah, painted poster, illustrated poster. No, and, and I want to spin big because, like, I've explained, I don't want to yeah. get into it here, but I explained yeah, the yeah. cover concept to you. I'm not sure it can be done. Yeah. Uh, and I'm not sure who could do it in such a way that it sets the tone for all the other artists I want to hire in yeah. the book. Like, it needs to be this level of detail, this level of yeah. theme, this kind of stuff. Uh, so, yeah, that's way, way down the line. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, uh, but yeah, something to consider now that I have actual funds. Uh, hopefully the Kickstarter will be able to make a better show for itself. Yeah. Uh, in terms of people who don't listen to this podcast and are just <coughs> searching the games yeah. section. Uh, but yeah, that's like I said, that's staring up at the peak and wondering if it's not better to let go and fall into the abyss. Like just, we're we're above that. All right, we're above the, the next handhold. You're you're, just, you, you, gotta, are, you, you were just, at that last time. You're, you got to you got to get to the next handhold. You're at That's, the little you're at that little craggy thing where you can like, you know, uh, set up a hammock, you can you sleep, get get get, get some rest. No, I'm 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 too lazy yeah. for pretty much all of that. <laughs> I got through No Soul Left Behind by like You're at least in the little crevice where you I got can through like, No Soul Left Behind, yeah. which I love and yeah. I, it's the most proud I've ever been of something I made. It, yeah. it was basically 2000 more words. <laughs> <laughs> then you can rest. So, no, you know, I, it, I, you know, it's I know that feeling. Yeah. I just read The Half a King by Joe Abercrombie and he spends like over half the book as an ore slave. Yeah. And his ore mate is just like, it's only the next stroke. Just one more stroke of the ore. And I, I feel like that that is what it is. Like if I if I wrote all five or six chapters I have planned in the outline and then the novella, Jesus Christ, it's like a two hundred and twenty page, three hundred page. It's not really a novella book. anymore. Well, the novella would be a oh, I a, a separate publication. Okay. Uh but yeah, but it's yeah, that's a lot of work. It's it's, yeah. it's a lot of work. It's partly done. Yay. It's more done than most people's RPG books. Exactly. Are, but random is, guy out there. It is still not done. So yeah. get your Pathfinder Apocalypse World pony game off the ground already. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no offense will, to actual pony games out there. No, you'll make an insane amount of money. There was there was no sarcasm that get it off the ground. Like <laughs> strike you, while the iron's hot. Yeah, you were minting cash. Like uh, so. if you can add in minis, man, that, that's a thing. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so which we both like. Yeah, after your, your one experiment, that is like no. Oh, never again. <laughs> All right, I think that kind of wraps up our playtesters progress uh any final thoughts uh i i hope to have an update sooner yeah the next time and uh hopefully i can send out betas or ash cans or sometimes before the heat death of the universe yay yay but before then you'll get those death traps done too because i know you're eager yes. to get started on those yes <laughs> next handhold ross next handhold <laughs> all right see you guys next time bye Life's too long to grieve all that should be.
stay with me falling 